Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Superhero Ethics Podcast. I'm Jacob Malichich. I'm one of your hosts. Joining me, as always, is Matthew Westfox. Matthew, how are you doing today? Doing well, doing well. Glad to uh, not be traveling at 75 miles an hour while we're recording, and uh, looking forward to this great topic. Yeah, I'm excited about how much better this episode is going to sound. <laughs> uh, again, did not work as many miracles as I was hoping. Uh, today, though, I'm, I'm very, very excited about this topic. It's one that we've been spinning back and forth for a while. Uh, you and I have been talking about what's the best way to do this, what do we want to talk about, uh, and even before this call, we couldn't help getting into some of the discussion. Uh, before we even hit the record button. So today, uh, our focus is going to be on violence, and more specifically, violence as a means of conflict resolution. It's a theme we see commonly in superhero media specifically, where the, a lot of the conflicts that our heroes are presented with and the ways in which they resolve these conflicts are very violence-centric. Uh, they tend to, to punch their problems and do less of the you know, engaging with them intellectually or, or engaging with them in, in social ways or through organizing. And I just thought, the, especially as we continue to see these things, I was thinking about this after we watched Punisher, we we hinted at this a little bit when we talked about uh, Avatar The Last Airbender, but also I just started watching Luke Cage. We'll talk about that uh, at some point much later. Luke Cage Season 2. I've seen Season 1. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, again, this sort of got the the wheels turning again and just, just a topic I was really interested in, both from the, uh, the genre-focused side, from looking at why is it that when we think of superheroes, it's always they're fighting something, right? There's there's always some kind of external physical conflict that they're dealing with. Um, but then also as a, as a sort of societal concern, a meta concern, why does so much of our media revolve around our protagonists and our heroes resolving their conflicts, resolving their problems uh, through violent means? So Matthew, I just settled bunch of words what are, what are your thoughts uh in a broad sense on this topic you know I, th- I think it's a really good one and i think i mean i think the first thing that any any person might might say as a, as a quick response is well what makes these people different is that they have superpowers you know any one of us you know a normal person can talk to somebody else what a superhero has is the ability to punch them much harder than than one of us can or to like jump out of the way of the bullet or whatever it is and so on the surface, I think this seems like a fairly simple question because it seems like the whole point of these characters is that they have a power that allows them to fight much better than anyone else. But but I think that that's why this is such an important thing to dive into because it then raises so many other questions of, well, what does that having that power actually do to a person? Like, you know, in that, as you kind of brought up, in the world where when you're a hammer, every problem looks like a nail – is that what superheroes start to fall into? Um, especially because we do have a number of superheroes whose powers aren't just physical. Um, you know, some of the powers like, um, like to me, we've, we've talked before about Professor X and how um, from the X-Men, you know, his power has nothing to do with physicality. His power is the ability of, of mind reading and, and mind control. And on some level, you would think that what that could allow for is him to try and use ways to convince people. Um, Sometimes he does. Oftentimes he just goes a much more vi- like mental kind of violence, but of just taking over control of a person. Right. Um, and that's not necessarily the kind of violence we're talking about today, but I, but I think that's an interesting example that even a character like Professor X, who has a power of great persuasion, still most of the stories that we show about him at the end are about him controlling something else instead of persuading. Um, 
and I and I think that that that's a really interesting point that's worth that's worth exploring here as we as um, because you know in a culture where um, we're I think it's a very important question to ask in our own culture. Why do we often feel the need to jump into violence instead of solving things, um, um, you know, with words? Right. And you said something there that really, I feel, is central to this whole idea. And, and I really wanted to focus on it because I felt you did a great job uh, explaining that, talking through it, especially about Professor X, who I was going to bring up as well as, oh, as sort of a hero that didn't have uh, a, a really violence-focused power. But the connecting thread is control, right? Control over your environment, control over your circumstances. And so this this thread usually ties back to violence because from our perspective, I feel, uh, the result of violence is very objective, right? Yeah. Uh, when, when we are dealing with a conflict and it's physical, uh, it is very clear whether or not we succeeded, and whether or not we've advanced our goals toward a particular end. When um, when Black Panther is fighting... Um, oh, my brain. Why does my brain not work now? Please, make me a fool. Uh, Give me a character name. Kill, Killmonger. 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 Thank you, thank you. It's all like, uh, kill guy? No. Uh, <laughs> gunmonger? That's wrong. Yeah, Killmonger. When, when Black Panther is, is fighting Killmonger... Their conflict, and and this is something that I loved about that movie, their conflict was ideologically focused, but it was represented to us. It was presented to us um, in that physical sense. And so we got a, you know, when when the physical conflict was won, uh, then the ideological conflict was was supposedly won. Although that movie, I feel, is exceptional in that it subverts that, uh, that particular trope. It subverts that part of the genre. By ma- by going well, no, actually, Killmonger all pretty much uh, well won a little bit, had a victory in the ideological front, even though he lost the physical confrontation. Right. The reason why and, I brought that one up specifically. Well, and, and there it gets even more meta because at the end of the day, Killmonger had an ideological point of view that what he wanted to do was to enforce with physical violence on the rest of the world, and. The end result is because Killmonger is defeated in physical violence himself, um, uh, T'Challa does wind up taking up Killmonger's cause, but deciding not to do so through physical violence. Um, right. And and that one is one I is I think a really interesting counterpoint to this. And and I I, I do think we're going to talk about that some because there are some great examples where heroes um, don't feel the need to use violence. Um, and, and and so I think in so in that regard, Black Panther is really interesting because it it goes on both sides of the line. You know, on the one hand, you have both characters feel that this ideological comp that you know when when Eric shows up and says, "Hey, I want to convince the people of Wakanda to do something different," we don't get the two of them going to the council to make their case. We get they have to fight it out. But at the end, T'Challa then says, "We'll but we go out into the rest of the world." We will try to use persuasion, not violence, to convince them of that. So it's an interesting in how it goes on both sides, right? And 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 again, it's it's the reason why I latched onto that so strongly is because that's it's that idea of of control, right, of affecting your environment, and I think that's why so often we see violence because it's a shortcut almost where right. we we know that we can present a story. And by having the the climax of that story or by having the the important beats of that story punctuated by moments of violence, we're able to 
to sort of use that physicality to demonstrate the direction of the story. Um, and in some ways that would be, that would be, you know, fine just from a, from a storytelling narrative perspective. I have some problems with the pervasiveness of that particular, uh, tool, because it's, it really feels like sometimes we, we've forgotten that there's other ways of resolving conflict. Right. Well, because here's the thing, is that at the end of the day, and I know we're going to talk about this, but often we talk about um, one of two things. We either approach an issue from the perspective of the decisions that the characters make, or we approach it from the perspective of the decisions that the writers and the producers make. And I think on this topic, we're going to be hitting on both. And And I think from the very beginning, we should name that, that clearly a lot of this is about the characters making the choices they're making. But a lot of this is also because the writers are are saying that, and 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 pretty clearly, you know, that their understanding is that this is what sells. That the big combat scene, the big fight, that's what gets seats and butts, and people wouldn't want to go see um, a movie about superheroes trying to persuade people. Um, you know, to stay on this Black Panther topic, one thing I think is really interesting is that at the end, yes, T'Challa decides he's going to go to the UN. He's going to go to Oakland. He's going to spend so many of Wakanda's resources in bureaucratic meetings and building cultural centers and doing so many things to try and change things. We're never going to see that in a movie. Like we might see it as a scene or two just to sort of remind us that that's happening. But I would bet anything that we are never going to get a big budget movie where the primary story is T'Challa doing those things because the MCU won't but at the end of the day, what, what the perspective is that what makes T'Challa an interesting character is that he puts on this great-looking cat suit and can kick ass in some great ways. And that his sister can be a total badass in helping him and making him all the cool toys and stuff like that. Um, and, and, and I think that that's, that's – that's, it's both sad and it's, it's also I think can, can be harmful because I think – it's not – it wouldn't be the big budget Hollywood explosion summer fest, but – I think a movie about the bureaucratic wrangling as Wakanda tries to, you know, shift the UN in different directions or about the attempt to establish these cultural centers in places like Oakland or other places around the world, I think that's a really interesting and really important story to tell. That's not one we're ever going to see in a big budget movie. Right. And I mean, in some ways we're we're you and I are complicit in this as well and I wanted to sort of get out ahead of that. Absolutely. We're going to we're going to talk a lot on this episode and we're going to effectively admonish uh our society at large for our pervasive use of violence in our media we we really like those kinds of movies as well <laughs> we get it like there's this there's this visual reaction and i mean and that's something we could talk about too the the connection with the audience i feel is very important and is why we're so fascinated with with violence as in our media as a culture um because in some ways we ourselves in our lives, in our day to day, we're presented with problems that are they're more nuanced and, and they're not as clear cut as as what some of our heroes are having to deal with. And there's a there's there's a certain visceral satisfaction with watching a story where it's very clear and to, to rob a quote from Babylon five, they're the bad guys and we're the good guys. And they make a very <laughs> satisfying thump as they hit the floor, exactly. right? Just a really, really crisp, clean. And you get that, that sort of wish fulfillment, that sensation of, yes, that's yes. This thing is done. They solved a problem. And it's again, the use of violence allows uh, our storytellers to do it in a way that's clearly, Mm -hmm. produces an objective result rather than leaving it unclear. Well, 
who won or or what's the what's the outcome here is it good or bad for the hero and, and I, I think that's a really important point and this is something i was thinking about before as we were starting this discussion is that one of the biggest differences between attempting to change something in your world through violence versus through persuasion is control um and what, what i mean by that is if as, as i have to do most of the time and i imagine you and most of our listeners probably do if the overwhelming majority of the, the way in which you are attempting to get another person to do or not do something, when you are using persuasion, at the end of the day, they still have a significant amount of the power over whether or not your persuasion works. Um, and that can be very frustrating. Whereas on the flip side, if I'm trying to make someone stop something and I just punch them till they fall down – it doesn't matter if I persuade them. They just fall down and they stop doing it. Um, and, and to be clear, I'm by no means saying that that's the thing to do most of the time. Um, if it's a Nazi, go ahead and punch away. But most of the time, clearly, I think persuasion is the better course. But I think that that is a big part of why it is that wish fulfillment you're talking about, because it is very difficult to live in a world sometimes where – you have control over yourself, but you have no fundamental control over what anyone else is doing, even when what they're doing is hurting you or hurting other people. Um, and I think that a lot of times there is that daydream of, you know, if only I had the strength of Superman, I, I could stop this thing. I could make people do the right thing, whether it's, you know, in my personal life or it's, you know, I, I could protect people from the police who are shooting bad, you know, who are shooting people who don't deserve to be shot or, you know, anything like that. Um and I think that's where a big part of that wish fulfillment comes from, is that it, it's – violence gives a control that persuasion never can, or at least the illusion of control because I do think it can lose control in a lot of other ways. Yeah, that, excellent that you, that you caught on to that. I was just going to sort of tug at that thread that you just said, that it gives the illusion of control. Yeah, you're, you're 100% right because the idea is – the conceit is when our heroes win these battles or these or these one-on-ones or – you know one up or uh, successfully get one over on on the antagonists in fisticuffs that they've also won the ideological battle battle or the philosophical battle yeah. they've won the argument right this is this is how they've convinced the other side um i think this is actually uh very prevalent and subverted in a very great way in the movie serenity uh mm. at the end of the film serenity mal reynolds is getting completely taken to full school uh in in his fight with the with the agent right he's just he's clearly outmatched in yeah. that conflict um and rather than like completely beating him uh, he does like yeah he does like effectively pin him down but what he does to to sort of win the argument is show him something right and he just needs his attention so he pins him to the uh, – using his sword, if I recall correctly, he pins him to the, to the rails. Yep. But he's like, watch this video. Uh, and, that's, and that's how the, that particular conflict is resolved. Um, this is, of course, on the heels of this massive fight against the, the Reavers who, if we were talking about uh, you know, who can we kill and, and disposable characters, the Reavers are – a fascinating portrayal of that, given that they're clearly once humans, uh, but mm -hmm. are are sort of treated as this nameless, uh, faceless horde of of frightening monsters. But right. um, so it's on the heels of, of a ton of violence, uh, and that's you know survivalist violence, right? They're not 
they're not trying to, to win so much as they're trying to stay alive in those moments. Um, but it's this that that's a particular story where uh, I really enjoyed the use of violence in that regard because it wasn't the person who was more skilled at harming somebody who who won the day, as it were. Um, right. And another example that, that we've brought up before um, that is a favorite of mine and, and I think of yours is the end of Doctor Strange. Yes. Where um, – and, and here it's a bit of a thing because – I'm not – I wasn't quite sure if this one applies because um, Doctor Strange does use a power he has to kind of it, – it's not, it's not a physical violence thing, but he does trap Dormammu in a time loop using a kind of a force. But, but still, the, the, the fundamental point of it is Dormammu – is a creature of almost infinite power who thus believes that at the end of the day, his power can allow him to have control. And the fundamental thing that Dr. Strange does is to show him the limits of that power of violence, that no matter how many times Ramamu uses the extreme of violence to kill a person, to kill Dr. Strange, it still in the end doesn't do anything. Right. And that one is, is particularly powerful because that's an example of, and Doctor Strange is actually another great example of a hero who has, he has a lot of powers to affect his world. Um, and the majority of the ones that he uses are not directed at harming other people. Um, he has, you know, he has ways of, of fighting. Um, but at least in that movie and also uh, in his scenes in Avengers, uh, very few of what he, very, very little of what he does is, is actually offensive. Uh, right. And by offensive, I don't mean it offends people. I mean that in the aggressive, I guess, is another way to put it. Um, right. But, but yeah, the the whole thing of um, establishing a time loop to basically try to prove to this cosmic, uh, this giant cosmic entity that violence isn't the answer is a beautiful conclusion to a story. It really is. Uh, so, and and this sort of like. So we we've uh, I had one of the uh, question I, I wanted us to answer uh, within this particular discussion, and we've sort of just like already done this. Is you know the the idea is it possible to craft a superhero narrative without using violence to solve problems? And I think in some ways that we've we've talked about how it is and in ways that, it, that it's already been done. Yes, um, mm-hmm. but also I feel like every one of those those films or those. those I don't think we could come up with an example where we have these larger-than-life characters where there wasn't at least one scene where they they basically had to, quote, unquote, had to use violence in, in order to advance their, their goals or the plot. I think it comes down to who are we saying interesting to. I think right. – is, pos- is it possible to craft that story? Absolutely. Is it possible – like I, I – you know, I have, and I think you have said many times that we think Civil War, the bureaucratic wrangling, would have been a fascinating movie, and that's one that I would have loved to see. Um, like one thing I'm noticing is that more and more as I watch these movies, I'm kind of bored of the fight scenes. Um, I kind of just want the fight scene to end to get back to the interesting questions about how do you, how do or do you not use you know the questions about the ethics of force or the other ethics involved. Um, I think on a realistic level, we are never going to see it happen in a big budget, super Hollywood fashion because with those movies, it is the super special effects. It is the explosions and the fight scenes and the martial arts. That's what puts butts in seats to a large extent, not to a huge, not entirely, but you know, one of the reasons among other things that those movies um, are so successful is that they're incredibly successful in country. You don't have to speak English to, to enjoy those movies because um, I mean, you, I, I, 
people can enjoy foreign language films without violence, to be sure, but 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 movies can translate across languages even easier when it isn't you're not there for the dialogue, you're there for the explosions. Um, this is part of why Arnold Schwarzenegger movies were incredibly popular in other parts of the world. Um, and 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 so I definitely think that it's possible. Um, I, I guess here's maybe the question: is I think some of the most interesting stories about superheroes are questions that explore should they or should they not be using violence and, and all the questions around that. And and so I guess to me, I, I kind of throw it back as two related questions, which is one, can you tell a story about the debate over whether or not to use violence without that violence ever occurring on screen? And B, could you have a story about a superhero whose power wasn't violent? And what could that look like? So, I mean, I actually think the answer to your A question is is no. I don't think you can effectively do it without showing what you're talking about. Um, yeah. I mean, especially in film, uh, it's a visual media. And it would be – I think you probably could do it. I actually think it would be a worse movie as a result of it um, because without without – I mean, if you make your antagonist violence, your antagonist has to show up to the party. Right, it can't just right. be something that you talk about in the abstract. Um, there has to be some kind of representation for it on the screen. I mean, even in even in a book, same thing. It has to happen. Uh, it has to be a, an actual presence within the story in order for you to discuss it, in order for you to talk about it. Um, I do think it is possible to to craft a story about a hero um, who you know, who doesn't have, you know, very violence-focused uh, abilities. But, I, I mean, I'm saying that sort of abstractly, that yes, I think it's possible. I don't know mm -hmm. what that story looks like. Uh, yeah. I think it looks a little bit like some episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation, if I'm being honest, in that uh, a lot of their, you know, the ones that are more um, diplomatic conflict-focused, right? Oh, yeah. Um, so... I think like you could make a story where somebody's you know questing around trying to help people solve problems in a in a kung fu the legend continues kind of a vein, um, or in a quantum leap style vein. There's an example of a superhero who doesn't always use violence to solve his problems. Uh, yeah. Although Sam what? Beckett's superhero <laughs> or superpower is not really, but it it is like <laughs> it's out of his control. He's a time traveler. It's out of his control, but he still like right. is affecting change in his world. Well, and, and I think we bring up Star Trek. I think that's a great example because, um, and I would even go much much earlier to the original Star Trek. Um, mm -hmm. I think it was very very intentional of Gene Roddenberry, especially because this was a nuclear age and they were trying to sort of get people out of the idea of thinking that we solve problems through violence. To me, and it is almost a cliche at this point, but that the thing that would happen again and again and again in Star Trek is they would encounter a being of or a race that had far more power than they would. and But what would happen is that they um, would have to use diplomacy to talk their way out of it. And, and, and on the one hand, that's the kind of thing that gives me a lot of hope. Um, but I think the other thing that's, uh, that's interesting to, to think about is, is the corollary to that is, well, A, they did that because they simply didn't have the budget to do the kind of space battles that now we can do in Star Trek. Um, and B, one of the most successful Star Trek stories of all time, especially involving the original cast, is the movie that you and I are talking about doing a podcast on ourselves, The Wrath of Khan. And The Wrath of Khan is 
I think, a great Star Trek story in a lot of ways, but involves far more space battles than any other Star Trek yeah, property had up to that the, time. The climactic um, scene of, of The Wrath of Khan is a actual submar- a blind submarine battle, right? Like it's Yeah, I, I mean, it's one of the best submarine movies ever made. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a, <laughs> it, it is a great war movie. Mm-hmm. But it's a war movie, yeah. In a way that, like, and I, and I, and I guess to me, that's what gets to. That's what 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 I always will come back to is, I think it is very possible to tell these stories. I don't think it's possible to tell them in a way that will make hundreds of millions, if not billions, of dollars. And, like, to me, one of my favorite examples of this is The Dark Knight. I think The Dark Knight is probably my favorite piece of superhero media ever made it's certainly in my absolute top five um and one of the reasons i like it so much is the whole thing is about when do you or do you not step outside the law to use violence or when do you use violence within the law or when do you not use violence within the law i mean it's, it's all of these questions wrapped up and i think it, it it what you were i loved your line about if violence is the antagonist it has to show up on screen there are some extents to which it does have to and i get that but to me the scene early in the movie where Batman goes to, um, I think it's Hong Kong or somewhere in China, to kidnap the Asian gangster and bring him back for trial, I think that scene is utterly useless to the movie. All it does to me is give us one more big budget fight scene. Um, and it, it's fun in that it shows off Batman's fun toys, but every time I rewatch that movie, I always have to be like, oh yeah, it's this scene again. And I just don't know... Like, I think we can get a play that doesn't have those things. I think we can get a very low-budget thing that doesn't have those things. I don't know if Hollywood will ever make Dark Knight without giving us that additional fight scene. Yeah, I mean, you you mentioned that, and up until you talking about it, I had completely forgotten that scene exists in that movie, and I've seen it at least <laughs> five or six times. Like, yeah. it's you're right, it's completely immemorable in that it, it doesn't do anything for the story. But it's there... And, and so this this leads into one of the big meta questions that I wanted us to, to sort of wrestle with a little bit more. We've talked about it some, but this fascination with violence that we have as a culture, why is it that uh, the the movies with all of the explosions and with, you know, people punching other people and kicking other people in the face uh, – why why are those the ones that get butts and seats and get money in the into the uh industry into the theaters i think is a lot of it is escapism um and i'm trying hard not to say this in any kind of a patronizing or condescending way and i will probably fail because i'm sometimes a very patronizing and condescending person even though i really try hard not to be um i you and i are on this podcast because we love media that really pushes difficult questions and makes us think and that we walk out of, you know, I walk out of civil war thinking, Oh my gosh, I can't, you know, team Tony or team cap. What a great question. Let's go have a beer and discuss this for five hours. And I think lots and lots of people do that, but I think far more people don't necessarily. And and I think that may be a part of a privilege in my life that I don't need to spend too much of my actual real lifetime thinking about the hard ethical questions. I have to spend a lot of it, more than I would like, but not as much as a lot of other people. And and I think that for many people, and the point of entertainment is not, you know, a, to hold up a mirror to the dark parts of the soul. The part of the point of entertainment is to entertain and to allow someone to escape. And the fight scenes are a great way of doing that. Fight scenes are thrilling. Fight scenes are exciting. 
um, fight scenes don't challenge you in the same kind of way. Um, and I think, I mean, to me, the brilliance of this entire comic book, um, superhero, sci-fi, all of it, is that it manages to combine those two. Like, to me, I think a movie is at its best, like Civil War, like a lot of the Netflix stuff, or like Star Trek, when it gets your butt in the seats by telling you we're going to show you cool spaceships and explosions and fight scenes, and oh, by the way, we're going to hold up that mirror to your soul anyway, haha, we got you. Um, <laughs> like, to me, that's, the, that's when these things are at their very best. Um, but, but I think that that's... I know I would go watch, you know, I would go watch Black Panther, the UN discussions. Um, I think a lot of our listeners would. I think that's why they listen. I don't know if many, I don't, well, and here, here's the thing, and here's where it gets back to pushing Hollywood. I know that Hollywood thinks people wouldn't go see that. I also know that Hollywood for a long time thought that they wouldn't go see a woman superhero. And then the Wonder Woman movie blew that out of the water. And I knew that they thought that the people wouldn't go see, um, you know, Asian men as romantic leads and Crazy Rich Asians is blowing that out of the water, uh, as are a number of other things. So, like, I think this is a really interesting question of this is clearly something Hollywood believes and how much is it that they are right? How much is it something that they might be right but they need to stop – they need to challenge it? And how much is it something that it's just kind of a established wisdom in Hollywood that that might actually be – might not actually be accurate? Yeah, I, I – like- very good answer to the question. I think that there's a, an even more cynical answer, uh, which <laughs> sure. is to say that, you know, so much of, of the media we consume uh, is pushed to particular markets, right? And so, like, you could start going, okay, superhero movies, we're going to dial down the violence a bunch. Some other genre of film is going to start eating up that that audience is going to start eating up that market share, if you will. I mean, I'm being very crass about it, but I feel That's like true. I feel like the answer isn't so much to change uh, Hollywood and to say, hey, like, no, seriously, these stories can can be just fine without having all of our heroes solving their problems by by using violence, by enacting violence on on other people. Um, but the real problem is that we want it. Uh, right. that, that that we want to see it in the first place, right? And I'm, this this is sounding like I'm being like super judgy of of our society. And well, okay, I am. Uh, but here again, <laughs> I am admitting that like I'm part of the problem, right? I enjoy watching these these scenes, and and I think more so than you do, honestly. Um, mm-hmm. because and we've had this discussion where sometimes you get you get bored during them, and, and I've you know they've got me, they've they've got me in right. my rapt attention as I'm as I'm seeing these things unfold, provided that it's not happening so quickly that I can't make out the details. Um, yeah. But like I, there is, there is this, this uh, draw to those, those high octane action scenes. Uh, it isn't just the violent ones. I mean, you look at the, the fast furious movies, right? Um, I don't know what the, the common abbreviation, commonly accepted abbreviation of that entire series <laughs> is. Um, and I think the Fast and the Furious movies. Fast and the Furious movies? But, like, there's a shorter title in one of the, anyway, whatever. Um, I, I mean, you could now call them the Vin Diesel and the Rock wrestle with their shirts off movies. That's um, an even but... longer name. <laughs> <laughs> like, trying... And that only started in movie number five, but it's a brilliant cinematic choice. But anyway, go anyway, on. Anyway, <laughs> um... You know, there's the 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 action, you know, action movies, adrenaline. If people want to see things happening, especially in them, and, and 
one of those things happening that you don't get to experience in your daily life in a safe environment, right? Are people mm-hmm. fighting people in this way? And that's that's the one thing I think is the, that that spectatorial uh, to make up a word on the spot uh, aspect to it um, that it's it's sort of replaced. If we want to go way way back, it's sort of our our gladiatorial arena between that and football. Uh, yeah. <laughs> at least for American culture. Um, one of these, I think, is a little bit safer than the other, and the other really should have less violence as well, um, given the injuries to the players. That's my own soapbox. Uh-huh. I'm going to get off it now and talk about uh And movies. the injuries to the players' wives and to... Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, many yeah. other things there. It's very um, damaging, but in, in that's because our, our gladiators we should take care of better. One thing I think is really interesting is is I like that you brought up football because I, I'd never thought about this before, but I don't think it's coincidental that for the most part, the people who love comic book movies and sci-fi, I mean, there there absolutely can be overlaps between them and jocks. Um, I played rugby in college and I'm a huge sports fan, um, but I'm pretty unique among my group of friends for that. Um, and I do wonder if that there's – if in, you know – Football and boxing and MMA and UFC, if that scratches the desire for escapist violence that people who aren't interested in sports then find in sci-fi and superheroes and comic books and all of that. Yeah. Wow. No, that that is a really good point. Um, and it, it's something that – like I, I almost wonder – and again, this is me being you know, very existential and possibly a little cynical. I almost wonder if there is just some kind of – almost imperative in in our consciousnesses where where that's something we seek out right mm-hmm. where it's it's some kind of itch that we we want to scratch some way um and that like getting like really into the weeds on this on this particular note but i think it's a it's a fascinating topic about do we actually need some some violence in some way i i want to say that we shouldn't Right, that doesn't mm-hmm. seem like something that should be necessary as as a part of our collective psyche. Uh, it should be something that we could shed, right? Because we yeah. we've seen and we've seen uh, throughout history that there are other ways to solve problems and to to solve uh, conflict between individuals and, and even nations uh, than you know. Well, let's see who has the, the better weapons, or let's see who has the the better trained armies, or in in the case of a, of you know. In high school, let's see which one of us is stronger because you've made me angry. Uh, right. Bringing up the the you know, unfortunately, bullying still a thing that happens. Uh, it happened when I was in school, and it's happening to this day. And it's just like, why? And yeah. maybe it's because maybe the answer to that is that we have not, as a people, gotten over this sort of subconscious need to consume violence in some way. There's a lot that you're bringing up there, and I want to kind of make a couple responses, but also think I think you know neither one of us are evolutionary biologists or developmental psychologists, and there's there's a whole bunch of things we're diving into here that we are so far out of our realm of expertise. Um, I I think it's really important to name that the desire that you are talking about, like the inherent need to see violence, whether it is inherent or whether it's culturally programmed. I'm not sure I can ascribe to all of humanity. I think I can ascribe to most of male humanity. Mm. Um, and I think that that – and I, I don't mean that by any means universally. I think there are some men for whom this isn't as strong and some women who really have that same love of, of watching violence the way, the way any man does. But I do think anytime we're talking about 
violence as inherently part of people, that gender aspect has to be brought up. Um, and, and often is, I think, a very important when, – when people say, like, we should have women leaders because they're not going to blow everything up all the time, I think there's some really good truth to that. Well, and um, that, that's a cultural thing too, right? Right. I, I mean well, – well, maybe. We, we don't really know, although I think that a lot of we, – we've, we've – you and I have been indoctrinated in a particular culture where it is certainly true that uh, men are sort of conditioned uh, right. toward violence in some ways. Right. Well, and, and, and again, like I said, I, I don't think we can really go too deep on the like, is this nature, is this nurture question, but I think we can certainly acknowledge that it's a part of our culture now. And and so then the question becomes, you know, if, if you kind of take my idea of that superhero movies, comic books, and, and all these things are at their best when they're sort of getting you into the seat with the fun fight scene and the explosion, but then holding up the mirror to your soul, like as a kind of a trick, it, it, to me, it's like the question of, you know, there's going to be sort of a weird metaphor, but I think it really applies. You, you know, you, you, do you get a kid to eat vegetables by wrapping them in a piece of bacon and saying to yourself, okay, they're eating a little more meat and fat than I want to, but at least they're eating some vegetables anyway? Or do you recognize that that's saying that's still training them to want the taste of, of bacon or, and really try to be like, no, let's, let's really get them to a better place about wanting to eat vegetables? Um, and I say that because I think that that's exactly what the superhero movies are. The superhero movies are saying – the ones at least that I'm talking about where there is some great ethical stuff. Um, you know, yeah, sure. We're going to throw some violence. We're going to have Batman kidnap the guy in Asia because it's just a fun fight scene. Um, but we will get to some serious discussion. We will get to some serious issues. And, and, I th- and, and the question then becomes like is that, is that a legitimate choice to make? You know, I, I, I think it is. But I think that as, as we're talking about here, it brings up some real concerns. I just love that you're bringing up the the uh, ethical considerations behind prosciutto wrapped asparagus. <laughs> Whether, <laughs> exactly. Is prosciutto wrapped asparagus ethically responsible? Hmm. <laughs> I, I'm always going to eat it, but you know, <laughs> right? So yeah, but, but, I, I, no, that I, whole metaphor. But that whole metaphor comes as someone who doesn't eat anywhere near enough vegetables because I never really learned to. Um, and that's I'm not blaming anyone else but myself about it. But it, you know, it's 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 I think an interesting metaphor for for all of these stories. Right, and I mean, and. and... As you've mentioned, we could uh, go back and forth on this for a while, but we we are not experts on most of the topics we talk about. Uh, right. <laughs> which, uh, when when I came onto this, I made that very clear that yeah, I don't know what I'm. Well, yeah, I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm I'm comfortable <laughs> saying I don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, I just hope that you know, like through these discussions, we can we can at least uncover or start other people talking. Maybe I can learn something uh, yeah. <laughs> from somebody who does know what they're talking about. Um, what? I do want to just highlight um, in, in terms – because I know there's some specific questions you want to get into that I think are really important. I just want to highlight though when we're talking about – going back to kind of that question you asked about can we tell a story without violence, mm-hmm. I, I do think it's important to say that it seems like in movies we can't. But that in a lot of TV shows where you've established that the character will often use violence at some point in their career – some of the best episodes and some of the episodes that I think are often most adored by fans are the ones where the hero doesn't use violence. Um, there, there's some great episodes of Batman the Animated Series, especially when he's dealing with Harley or with Killer Croc, where he does use persuasion. And, and there's a great scene of, of Batman talking to Harley in jail and saying, you know, I have bad days too. Um, and, and, and when Killer Croc is at the circus. Um, and, and, and also as... Um, 
you know, here, here we have to get in our, our, our guaranteed plug for the Marvel Netflix universe. But, but one thing I do really love about those shows is there are entire episodes, sometimes entire, you know, plot arcs where the characters don't use violence. And violence is, you know, the, the scenes of Matt Murdock going into the courtroom. And, and to me, one of the most important parts of the Daredevil character is that he is fighting with two different skill sets. He's fighting on the streets, but he's also fighting in the courtroom as a lawyer. Um, we lose some of that in Daredevil season two, but, you know, same thing with Luke Cage and with um, Jessica Jones. And, and even I would say in, in the most recent season of Iron Fist, there, there, there are whole episodes, whole stories we get in those shows where violence is never used. Yeah. And I mean, it, it, just, just a quick point of clarification. We're talking about uh, violence specifically in superhero media or in, in action sort of focused media the, these things we're just consuming obviously romantic comedies and drama are movies we we see happening uh that have zero violence in them pretty frequently uh yeah, absolutely call there being much well actually there it was violent in miscongeniality but like <laughs> hold on i i know there's at least one uh now you were sleep or while you were sweet while you were sleeping there's one mm-hmm. that i've seen that, that i don't think had a speck of it in it or uh, the wonderful Robin Williams drama "What Dreams May Come." That was right. Oh, that movie was a gut punch, but not really. Crazy rich, crazy rich, crazy rich Asians, which I just saw sure. a couple nights ago. I remember thinking, like, I I can't remember the last time I saw a movie in the theaters that didn't have explosions or superpowers and or violence. And I was really glad for that. Um, and it also said a lot about myself but that I don't is, go to any of those movies. But but go on. But this is also why. No, no, I would circling back to what you were talking about. This is also why when we when we see that. In our superhero stories, when we see, you know, basically the focus being on the drama and the story and the conflicts that are more either internal for our own heroes, like Jessica Jones wrestling with uh, her particular demons after how she dealt with Kilgrave, or or we had um, in Iron Fist, we had Danny Rand wrestling with the fact that he was basically socially tone deaf uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> because of his time in Kunlun, um, and also the writing, but... <laughs> Sorry. Uh, so, but but the yeah. When we see those, when we see those particular stories, we see or uh, oh man, Jerry Hogarth's whole story in Jessica Jones season two. Which now I don't remember the listener that brought it up, uh, but somebody brought it up and and want to make sure we talk about it later in more detail. But there was this whole storyline about her and her law firm and her law firm basically trying to out her when they find out she's got this, you know lethal medical condition that that entire plot line centered around her had no violent bent to it whatsoever it was you know mm-hmm. coercion and it, certainly there were times where it felt like it might come to that but because this was the kind of conflict that usually we see resolved with violence where bad people are doing bad things to each other and eventually someone's going to start throwing punches um but then we we see it resolved in more social and more manipulative ways but it's still circles back all the way back to a point you made earlier it's still about control in the end yeah so even in those situations where it's all like you know the hero versus themselves or the hero versus um some some problem with their friends where you know it's not really appropriate to be going around punching your friends until they agree with with what you're doing the whole conflict between matt murdoch and foggy uh, particularly when when Foggy is finding out about the things that Matt Murdock has been doing uh, in his you know skin tight leather outfit, uh, <laughs> that you know 
Matt can't just, you know, hit Foggy until he real or like paint him up against a wall and yell at him, right? That's not going to work. Um, but he's still like trying to, to sort of gain control over the situation. Uh, but it's, I guess for me, it feels like a more healthy way of gaining control when you're like negotiating with somebody or trying to talk it over with them. Um, right. And again, you and I are, are pretty biased in this regard, but those are the stories I really love when our heroes are, because let's face it, when our heroes are like Daredevil, where he's clearly very, very good at fighting people, right? Like Daredevil right. can use his body in some pretty ridiculous ways uh, in order to to get what he wants from a, from a physical perspective. When he has to solve conflicts and he's cut off from that, that's way more interesting. That's That's... You know that's got more tension to it for me. And I think there's two really important things that are that are coming up here for me. Um, one, this is a bit of an aside, but I want to say it. We're not. We are talking here about physical violence. We're not always saying both of those words for the for the for the, for the, for the sake of conciseness. But but I do think that that's very important to distinguish because as you said, a lot of like awful, terrible, even violent things are being done to Ho- to Hogarth and being done by Hogarth. They're not necessarily always using physical force. And I, I say that because I think one of the debates that's happening in our culture a lot, both about like whether or not hate speech is damaging and also why – whether or not like punching a Nazi is, is across this huge line or is actually in, in uh, of a piece with hate speech and things like that is because a lot of people want to think that like um, violence is only physical. And I think it is important to talk about like there can be like – Words can be incredibly damaging and harmful in many settings. So, so I think it is important that we make that distinction. We're talking specifically about the physical force of violence. Um, but, but the other point that I think you're bringing up that is really important is and, – and here we can go a little bit more into characters specifically. One of the biggest problems I think is that when you are a person who lives your life believing that problems can be solved by violence – you know, it's that, that that comment I made at the beginning. When you're a hammer, everything starts to look like a nail. Um, and I think there's been a lot of studies that have actually been been documented to show that this is why rates of spousal and child abuse are much higher among professional football players and and and, and things like that because people who spend their entire time professionally living on the edge of incredible aggression and violence find it very hard. Not always by any means, but can find it hard to turn that off entirely. Um, and I and I, I I think that it's a problem that a lot of super the overwhelming majority of superhero shows never challenge that. Um, I do think it's an issue that is starting to be raised more. I think Batman it's come up a couple times, and I won't spoil anything. But in Luke Cage, this does become a major plot point: is concern by by other people that because Luke is finding more and more ways that he can solve problems with violence, that he is. It is scaring people who hope that he doesn't solve his problems with them with violence. Right. Um, and, go ahead. No, no. I, I mean, I'm just agreeing with you very loudly. But like, yeah. this is this is a thing that that happens, uh, you know, in in real life. Like, take ourselves out of the media for a second. Um, when you start interacting with somebody that you know uses violence professionally, right? Um, and th- there can be, there can come this time where you start to be concerned, especially if they're doing it with, with a degree of frequency and like they start raising their voice or, or whatever, or they start getting agitated around you and there's this ever present threat 
and it, you know they might not ever act on it, but there's this idea that, well, I know that they're capable of doing this, and so, so in some ways there can be this idea of violence happening without that person ever actually using their physicality. I'm really right. glad that this is something that comes up in season two of Luke Cage. I haven't gotten there yet, but I'm. Uh, it was something that I was wondering if they were going to touch on, given the tenor of even the first episode. It's funny. One of the things that is occurring to me right now is there's the Robert Frost poem that I can't remember the name of. I think it might just be Fire and Ice, but it's this idea of, you know, will the world be destroyed by by fire in terms of like great and total passion and and sort of you know flying off the hook anger or by ice, you know, by cold, cruel calculation, and and I think it's interesting because a lot of our heroes sort of or and villains. Um, they kind of go one way or the other, but, but a lot more often it's that fire. It's when they're using violence, it's what they're showing is, oh, isn't this great? This person is just so angry about the evil that they're seeing that they can't even control themselves. They have to just fly off the hook and become angry and go hurt things. And again, that's great, but that's also terrifying. Right. And I find it far more appealing when our heroes wrestle with like like with Matt Murdock again like yeah. we basically are on the payroll for the people who write for Daredevil <laughs> at this point but uh that especially season 1 I loved how much he wrestled with this cuz he could recognize his own connection to that violence and his, his almost his almost desire strong desire to do it to be to continue to do this um and it wasn't just for him and he was recognizing this and this was part of what I thought was like so realistic and so compelling about his story was that for him, it wasn't just because bad men do bad things that make me angry. It was, right. I, it was for him. He, he wanted to do it and he was getting something out of it. Right. And it was wrestling with that. I don't think that I'm a good person idea because I'm doing these things, but I still think these things need to be done. Just right. And again, that's that's the line I really would like to see walked more frequently than with Punisher, where he's like, yeah, whatever, I'll just shoot him. <laughs> I mean, he's he's not quite that cavalier about it, but pretty cavalier. Right. And so with, whether it's with Murdoch or with the Punisher or with any of these guys, I understand. I think a lot of people really relate to the fact that the idea of using violence to solve problems feels much more satisfying. Um, there was a tweet that I saw a couple of weeks ago. Um, by by an activist who who I, I very much respect, um, um, and and what they basically said was, I'm having the kind of day where I really hope I walk past a Nazi on my way home because I need to punch one, and a whole bunch of people clicked like on that like on that tweet, including myself, and then later I was like, wait a minute, what what what's happening here? <laughs> um, because I, it got me thinking that that's exactly that mindset that Matt Murdock gets into of. Oh, that Matt Murdock is so afraid of, and I think with good reason, of I want there to be a reason to use physical violence because I feel so frustrated at my powerlessness. I feel so frustrated at my um, you know, inability to change things. And here again, I think it's where it becomes very gendered because I think because – and again, I don't want to get into too much of the why, but I do think it has to be like – for me, because part of the words, I think the word that can often come to mind there is emasculated. Like because we as men are taught that we should be able to physically dominate our, our society and physically dominate our situation. And so when we can't use that, it's frustrating. And that's a horrific part of toxic masculinity. Um, but, but it really struck me to think that all these people, myself included, were having this feeling of – 
you know, wouldn't it be great to have a Nazi we could punch? Because then we'd have that set, like, you know, that great quote from Babylon 5, their body would make a satisfying thump as it hit the floor. Mm -hmm. Um, And what I love about that episode so much is I feel like part of the point of the episode is Jakar realizing that he's dealing with much more complicated problems and is using this to kind of escape. And yes, that's satisfying, but it's not, that's, that's, you know, candy satisfying. It's not actually feeding him the way that he, what he needs. Right. And you and I sort of had a a discussion on this. I forget if it was, I think it was on the way back from Detroit, uh, but it might've been on the way to Detroit before we started uh, recording uh, car talk. Uh, But (laughs) Uh, no, no one's this, else ever used that name. It's all ours. Yes, exactly. Uh, so this 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 is something that uh, I've personally struggled with in my life, where there's this, and like, I, so I get it, right? This whole like you want to give yourself permission sometimes to to be violent or to embrace violence because it, it feels again it's that that feeling of control over your environment, control over your situation. You know you can do this thing, right? That that there will be a result and it's predictable and it's uh, it's quantifiable. You can see it, um, and it's something that I've had to struggle with uh, personally uh, because for me, I uh, because of certain situations about my upbringing, I feel like affording oneself that that privilege, sort of affording oneself that permission for me, is just not an avenue I can explore. Uh, yeah. And it's so there's that's one of the reasons I studied martial arts uh, as much as I have is the the disciplined use of so basically uh, violence sort of as a means of because I mean, I would argue that uh, that particular study of martial arts isn't really violence, but it's sort of that physicality as a means of of control of the self and of discipline of the self. In those senses, it's fine. As soon as I'm I'm like wanting to enact it on the environment around me, that's when I start to get scared, right? That's right. when I'm like, I have to shut that down. But I understand, right? And it's it's that thing where it's something that I feel like the media in our culture are sort of reinforcing this idea. And sometimes it's because they want to connect with their audience, I think, right? Mm-hmm. And that's that's something that I can appreciate, where you want the audience to understand what the heroes are going through. But, and this is one of the things, again, I feel feel like uh, Daredevil did a great job of, of not, uh, I feel they weren't trying to convince me that Matt Murdock should be okay with it. They were trying to convince me that this is something that was actually wrong with Matt, that he needed to work out. Right. Well, and, and, I, and I think what, what Daredevil tried to do, and this is kind of related to what you were saying just now about, um, um, about martial arts, is say... There are times when Matt Murdock can use violence and it's okay, and there are times when he can use violence and it's not okay, and he has to find the line. And I think that that's kind of what, what, what the martial arts idea is. I think, and I, I just want to name, I think there are some who would say that all of it's wrong. You know, that, that, that the idea of that there can be controlled legitimate violence is, is, is a myth that or a lie we tell ourselves. I'm not sure I agree with that, but I do think it's important to name that. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but I also think I, I really respect like, – I think part of what, what the journey you have gone on requires an awful lot of self-awareness and self-discipline. Like I know I have some of those same, you know, potential for violence in in because of things about my upbringing and things that I I've tried desperately to avoid and for me it's kind of like um you, you know um um you know things where I just know I I don't think um martial arts would be a safe thing for me because I think it would just still teach me like it I think that that the idea of learning how to be physically violent what 
in a controlled manner can be a very healthy and good thing. I think telling yourself that you have the ability to be controlled about violence when you don't actually have that mm. can be very dangerous. Absolutely. Um, no, and it, we, there, this is a topic we can go on for a, a real long time, but I know there's a couple of specific ones we wanted to get into a little bit. Um, and so I want to kind of shift us in that regard. Um, and let, let's talk about some of the specific ways that violence gets used in movies uh, and, and TV shows and whether it's problematic or, not, or, or how we feel about it. Um, and one of the ones I know you wanted to talk about was when violence is comedy. Yeah. So both both slapstick yeah both slapstick violence, but also just the Deadpool movies, um, or uh, like Kingsman, uh, just situations where it's clearly like ridiculous, over the top. These things can't couldn't really happen in real life, uh, the way that are being portrayed, either because physics doesn't work that way or whatever. But you know, it's <laughs> violence we're intended to laugh at, right, right. in some form. Um, Slapstick specifically I wanted to talk about because it's something that I have personally struggled with the appreciation of. Um, I have had long arguments with people about the Three Stooges uh, specifically. And, I'm, you know, I don't feel like I've made enemies as, as a result of those discussions, but I certainly haven't made friends. Uh, <laughs> you know, because for me, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of the um, – I think there's a difference between physical comedy and – and violent comedy and in violence mm -hmm. as comedy. And so when, you know, somebody does a pratfall because they slipped on something. Okay. You know, sometimes depending on the setup, depending on that situation, that can be funny. Right. And I think we can, we can all sort of concede that. Yeah. Okay. Certain circumstances can make uh, that misfortune happening to someone funny in sort of a dramatic irony sense or a situational irony sense. But when I'm poking somebody in the eyes uh intentionally like on purpose this is a thing that i'm doing i don't really like that being portrayed as funny and intended to be laughed at uh yeah you, i'm like and you you're free to disagree with me uh <laughs> most most men i've talked to have disagreed with me on this particular point but i feel like violence between two uh, two people we identify as people not to go too far on a tangent on uh, on that particular topic but uh, violence between individuals as comedy, I I feel like it's very difficult to do in a way where I don't feel it's it's problematic and damaging. Yeah, so this is an issue actually that Paul not as much the slapstick part, but the the, the comedic violence. I'll admit I just, I have not seen any um, Three Stooges beyond like just you know clips here and there, so I can't really comment on that part. But um um but but with slapstick comedy and with things like the the, the violence as comedy. Or violence as over the, huge over the top entertainment, like I think happens a lot of, for example, Quentin Tarantino movies. Mm -hmm. um, or there, often you get like violence as beautiful. Um, and and this is something that Paul and I talked about a lot on the dare, on the uh, episode we did about Desperado, um, which is still a movie I really want to get you to see. Um, and and one of the, the, the ideas that we came to there is that what by making violence incredibly stylized. You know, by making it so cartoonish and so clearly over the top, there's kind of an interesting and dangerous line that I think the, the writers and the producers are walking, which is on the one hand, I do think that when you make violence cartoonish and over the top, it does move you away from glorifying it a little bit because it's so clearly ridiculous that it doesn't have the like, oh, wow, I want to go out and like learn martial arts so I can kick people in the face just like, you know, Daredevil did. Um but it does also serve to make it seem less serious, you know? And 
There are times when somebody makes an argument so stupidly that it pisses me off because it makes it harder to make a more reasoned view of that argument. And this is kind of how I feel every time the right gets crazy about violence in video games. Because Mm. I don't think we have shooters because people are have play violent video games. I don't think any of that is true. I think we have violent shootings because we have too much access to guns and a problem with, with all sorts of things in our society. But I do think there is a discussion to be had about desensitization to violence and the role that things like video games and that things like either making violence beautiful, like in Quentin Tarantino movies, or making violence seem fun and and meaningless and and joyful the way it can in in Deadpool movies or Desperado, I, on the one hand, I think there's an interesting question to be discussed. I have to admit, I was really excited to go to Daredevil because I love that. I think it's hilarious and I think it's a lot of fun. You mean to um, Deadpool? And to, uh, no, yeah, I, my, my love of Daredevil is so strong, I keep going to it. But <laughs> yeah. yes, no, there I meant to Deadpool. Um, and, and I would love to say I walked out of there thinking, oh, gosh, am I a good person for loving that? No, I didn't. I walked out of it thinking that was a great movie. Yeah. Um, well, and and, and to, I, to be fair, I do think that once it's abstracted enough, once it's gotten to the point where it's completely ridiculous, I mean, that also dissociates it from reality to an extent where it sort of gives you permission, if, if yeah. you will, to, to laugh at it and treat it. But, like, I think there's this there's, there's meant to be this implicit understanding that – this is being portrayed to you as funny, and if this really happened, it would not be funny. Yeah. And I, and I think that that's... I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it's it's worth every now and then asking, you know, are we really... Like, like, I think it's one of those things where we're kind of flirting with something dangerous, and so it's important to keep an eye on it. But if you told me tomorrow that we were going to make... Like, that every movie was going to be a serious Dark Soul portrayal of violence, I, I don't think that would be a step in the right direction. Right. And I think as long as we're, uh, as long as we're culturally cognizant of the fact that, like, you know, yeah, we can laugh at it, we can appreciate it, and just, you know, every once in a while think about, okay, yeah, no, that's, that's not actually okay, but then we're fine. Right? The, the, the risk is that, as you, as you so rightly pointed out, the desensitization, that if you're exposed to it enough, it stops it stops meaning what it should mean to you if that makes sense right. um i would also love to talk about if we could, if we could shift a little bit to to another use of violence in our media i would love to talk about my personal favorite trope uh which i'm using that term uh very ironically uh sexy sparring yeah and i'm saying it's my favorite it's... trope because it's nowhere near my favorite trope I, I actually really dislike sexy sparring but it's it's pervasive yeah, I'm glad we went here next because while I am willing to say that there's sometimes where funny violence is a good thing or at least is a something I'm willing to, to say can be fine, I would like to throw the sexy sparring trope completely under a bus. Now, don't get me wrong. There are – I mean I don't want to go too deep on this, uh, but there are situations where people conflate uh, violence and, and sex uh, in very – what, what we would call violence at least and sex in very healthy and very – uh, you know, good for them ways, right? Like, I'm not tr- right. I'm not sitting here trying to kink shame anybody. Uh, I just think the concept of two people fighting, you know, with with gloves or not, uh, and it's clearly just meant as, like, the super hot foreplay thing, is not the right portrayal of that thing. Yeah, and, and I think here, again, in the same way that I sort of clarified before, that um, when that 
we're talking about physical violence and that violence doesn't have to be physical. I think in the same way, it's important to distinguish that physical force doesn't have to be violent. Right. To me, a fundamental part of the definition of violence, maybe we should have named this at the beginning, but, but a fundamental point to me of the definition of violence is it is something that is being done non-consensually. Right. You know, it is a person trying to inf- inf- use physical force to either control someone or to damage them or to hurt them without the consent of the other person. Um, and, and yeah, clearly like people can engage in, in all sorts of physical actions from the, the very sweet to the very forceful um, and that be a consensual and wonderful thing either as like two friends sparring or two lovers doing uh, lover things. Um, but, but I think here what we're talking about is where something that starts as a fight that isn't consensual. It's two people wanting to fight with each other and hurt each other. And it's expressed as a kind of foreplay and flirtation. Right. And um, this happens in Iron Fist. It happens in uh, a number of other things. It happened very much with uh, in Daredevil, where clearly the Matt Murdock Electra fights are meant to be super sexy and mm-hmm. foreplay. Um, so for you, what, what's the problem here? So the, the, I guess the problem that I have is is sort of twofold. One, a lot of the times we're, we're being portrayed this, it's it's – uh, hand in hand with this, I hate you so much, I must mate with you. Uh, trying right. not to swear very hard on this episode. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, th- but that idea, I just feel is so very, very damaging and and uh, sort of gives permission to or, or reinforces the idea that that is anything resembling a healthy relationship, right? I just, I'm off of it. Uh, but also, right. like, when either you're sparring uh, to you know, to engage in that physical activity, to to train with each other, or or you're engaging in foreplay, um, and I just I feel like the that particular the the whole sexy sparring trope conflates the violence the 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 competitive violence that sort of violence of competition that you get in in uh, in boxing and UFC and that sort of thing, and conflates it directly with sex, and to me that. I feel like it's not a competition and it's also not something where you're like, it's not something where one-upping the other person or trying to get control over the other person is necessarily something that should be happening. Again, consent being, you know, like if it's consensual, great. Uh, but and oftentimes right. we're being presented this as if this very spur of the moment thing. And it reinforces this connection between specifically that kind of violence between fighting and between uh um and between sex in our culture that i just don't appreciate i i think that it sends yeah. very much a lot of the wrong messages i, I mean the competitive point i think you bring up is, is really helpful because i think in some ways this ties into a much larger societal issue which is that generally when relationships are presented on screen or in, in any kind of media they're presented in conflict because you know, um, and I've heard writers' workshops about this, where the idea is that a happy relationship is a boring relationship. Um, and, and yeah, conflict is easy to write and it's easy to make interesting. I think a, a good, healthy relationship or a relationship where the people aren't fighting is harder to make interesting. But but I kind of think that's laziness because it's certainly possible. Um, I mean, I just finished a rewatch of Friday Night Lights, which is one of my favorite shows for many reasons, but one of the best parts of it is it is an incredibly healthy portrayal of a marriage where they don't almost break up every third episode. Um, but, but tying it back to this, I think – so on the one hand, what you're saying is um, 
when, when we portray like sexy fighting, we're reinforcing this idea of relationships are meant to be constant conflict. And when you're fighting with each other, it means you care about each other. Yeah, we're, we're and, singing and a Pat is, Benatar song, Love is a Battlefield. Right. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, one of my favorite songs to do at karaoke. And oh, my God, a horrible, terrible song in so many ways. I, um, I'm sorry. You, did you just say Pat Benatar's Love is a Battlefield is a horrible, terrible song? Because we might have to fight now. Like I just said, it's one of my favorite songs to do at karaoke. I love that song. Mm-hmm. And it is so problematic. It is 100% problematic. There are a number of songs where I really wish I could just hear them in foreign languages because the, the tune is great and the words are so bad. Um, but but that's the thing is you're right that that, that ethos is such a big part of all of this. Um, and I think that, that that here again we have to also name the role gender plays in this in that – Violence in any in any kind of gender dynamic can always be problematic, but 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 especially when we do live in a world where so often a part of relationships winds up being male violence towards women, men violence towards women, and 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 one of the reasons why I think often I find this trope so problematic is an awful lot of the time it ends with the man finally getting like pinning down the woman, mm-hmm. and then them realizing how much they want to kiss and like. Not always, and sometimes now they're flipping it, and that's a little bit better. But 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 especially when it's the man pinning down the woman, now we're feeding to all these things of we've just shown that the woman is totally a badass, but what she really wants is the man who can overpower her and the man who can put her in her place and make her feel fem. I mean, all <sighs> when I say make her feel feminine, I put that in huge quotes because it's incredibly problematic that that idea of in this image of of male and female that that being a woman is is equated with being able to be physically overpowered by a man like that to me is such a toxic trope and we're getting a little bit better about it but it still comes up all the time um and i will say iron fist 2 flips it in a really good way which i really like oh Um, good but but um iron fist 2 is actually kind of good really strange um that's gonna be a whole other issue um but but yeah, I I I'm really glad we brought up this sexy fighting thing because I think it is just one that here look I'm going to critique Netflix. Um, <laughs> Netflix shows do it an awful lot, mm-hmm. and I really wish it could just be fired into the sun because it's such a big problem. Like I think I, and what what really what really gets me about this is I feel like there is a way to execute on the idea that they're having, um, where there is this sort of uh. You know, when these characters are interacting, uh, there's this very sensual, dominant, submissive uh, sort of relationship, and it's executed via this this vehicle. But mm-hmm. like, when nothing like that has been happening at any point prior to this point, and the characters have just been at odds, and each one effectively trying to be dominant over the other, it's just like, no, that's not how this works. The anyway, I could uh, I could complain for an awful long time about sexy sparring. There were two other things about uh, other types of uses of violence that I wanted to discuss. We are getting a bit on the long side, so, and I feel like one of the, because one of the, the uses of violence in our media we really wanted to talk about, I think could be an episode all on its own and maybe should be, which is the use of torture yeah, as a plot device. I, I think let's put a pin in that and say we're mm-hmm. going to do a whole episode in it, but that I do think it is... A very relevant part of this discussion is that often when we have characters who have learned that violence is the way to do things, one of the things that they love to do, therefore, is punch the bad guy until the bad guy tells them things. And 
in a culture where a lot of our police and military think that that is a legitimate thing to do and um and and we've had huge governmental fights about whether or not that is a legitimate thing to do um uh and 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 also to mention the fact that like it's been proven 8 billion times that it doesn't actually work um i think that's we're we're, we're probably going to do a whole episode on the hero's use of torture and and how we feel about that yeah i'm i'm fine talking for about a whole hour about torture in our media and why it also should be fired into the sun and forgotten about uh it shows up in cop media it shows up in in superhero shows and it's just in movies and i'm just it doesn't work and stop reinforcing the idea it works it feels lazy uh i would love to talk about the use of so like one of the more positive in my opinion uses of violence uh which is violence and art you see this in in a lot of um what's abbreviated in our culture as hcat or hong kong action theater but the the martial arts movies right Mm -hmm. but i feel like again this is something where i'd love to talk about it more i really think i want paul on on for that particular discussion because uh he can i probably could go back and forth for a while on um the various ways that uh it's used as a form of artistic expression like i would want to talk about shaolin soccer uh as a Mm -hmm. movie just first of all as just a brilliant film that i'd like was not expecting to enjoy nearly as much as I did, uh, but also just as a, you know, here's a way that that we could show you a martial arts movie where we're not really hurting people that frequently. Uh, right. Where really what we're what the focus is is like on the expression of the body and, and ways that we can show what human beings can do physically uh, for their around their environment. And this is a topic that I, that I, I think would also be a good one to, to get into, and, and yeah, get, get to have Paul on, um, though I might be careful there because I might be kind of outnumbered because I'm going to admit, I, I think I probably have a very different opinion on you guys. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know much of, like, I didn't actually know what the H-Cat stood for. Um, I've not seen many of the Hong Kong action thrillers. I, I'll probably watch a couple to do research for that one. I admit, that, like, to me, when, when you say art, uh, violence as art, I immediately go to Quentin Tarantino movies, and especially when you start getting into things like like I've enjoyed some Quentin Tarantino movies and not felt great about it. I hated Kill Bill because mm. I think Kill Bill, which is goes really deep into violence as art, I, I think it was depraved and horribly irresponsible. I think a lot of our listeners are probably very much disagree with me, and I know Paul does, and, and you may as well. I definitely um, disagree with you about Kill Bill, yeah, but so, that's a very yeah, long so, discussion. Yeah, so that actually could be another whole discussion to get into another time. But I think that that's um, – especially be, but because I do think it, it's worth saying though that um, the violence as art is something that touches a lot of the stuff we talk about. I mean it, it, it's funny because um, – and here again, different perspectives. When, when Paul and I first started talking about Daredevil, um, we talked about how much we loved it. And one of the first things he mentioned was the incredible hallway scene. And, mm. you know, because that scene is considered just like an incredible – we're talking about the scene early in season one where there's this like five-minute fight scene in a hallway and it's all one take and it's just thought to be incredibly well done. And I, and I acknowledge that it is when I go back and look at it. The first time he said it, I had no idea what he was talking about because I didn't even notice <laughs> Really? The, the no, choreography did... in that scene was amazing. <laughs> but I get it. I mean I, I understand <laughs> where you're coming from. I just – I don't have the the same take, so yeah, yeah for sure. It's like that's telling me it's really good sushi, and I don't like seafood. So uh, you yeah, know, it's, I mean, sometimes like, we're going to disagree on things, and it's okay. You're allowed to be wrong, Matthew. I give you permission, <laughs> right? But yeah, but that's why I think this could be a really interesting thing to, for us to, to debate. You know, um, yeah. So so that 
let's put a pin in both of those, and I think those will be two really good uh, topics to get into. So um, as, as we wrap up, was there anything else uh, – on on the topics that we covered that you really wanted to make sure that we talked about and we didn't uh, we didn't really spend a lot of time talking about how uh, a lot of the times our heroes are punching their problems because of anger management issues although you touched a lot on the connection with uh, the concept of masculinity as it exists in our culture now and i think that 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 is a pretty good link but but any other ideas uh, or, or things you wanted to make sure we talked about in our discussion of violence um. I would just say that I, I think I, – I don't know if I want to talk about it now, but, but I, I want to sort of say as a, to the listeners, um, one of the things that I think we, we touched on but didn't really get further into is what would it look like to see a, a movie or a TV show about a character who had a superpower but whose superpower wasn't physical in nature or at least wasn't to the point of having to use it as violence and thus could be – like you said, what would that story look like and could that story be told? And I, I brought up a couple examples of, of times where, uh, you know, uh, of characters who could be physically violent but can do other things. Um, one I think that we could get into somewhat is Flash. Mm. Because Flash has a physical power that isn't inherently violent. It's sometimes used for violence, but often, uh, say especially in the most recent CW show, is used not necessarily for violence. But, but I'd love to hear from our listeners more on that question. Either – what are stories that are already being told that you really love where you think there's great examples of, um, you know, characters who have superpowers, but those aren't necessarily used for physical violence? Or what are stories you think that could be told that would be really interesting? Um, I, I'd love to, um, to hear that. And you and I, Jacob, can think about that some more and maybe post about that on a, a Facebook thread in our, our Facebook group because I think that would be a great way to continue that part of the discussion that, that I think you and I probably have thoughts on. I think our listeners have thoughts on. And that we didn't really get to touch on enough today. Oh, absolutely. I would especially love if, if people have ideas, people want to talk about, oh, here's something that I've seen that, that, that sort of, you know, scratches that itch, does that thing. I'm always looking for, for even though I've got a, a giant queue of, of media to consume, I am still on the lookout for ones that are really going to, you know, push my buttons. I would never have found out yeah. about the Stormlight Archives books if I hadn't been trying to engage with people on discussions like these and found, oh, here's something with a bunch of really interesting ethical stuff in it. Right. Especially because I think um, there's – you and I primarily talk about – and we made um, uh, an intentional decision to this, but we mostly talk about mass media stuff, movies and books uh, – movies and TV shows. I imagine that most of the places where some of these more interesting stories are being told – not more interesting, but some of these stories of the kind we're talking about are being told where it's not just looking at violence are in places where they don't have the option of the, of the special effects that we're talking about, either very low-budget movies or um, plays or books or things like that. And so especially I'd love to hear about things like that where there are um, – you know, um, these the stories being told. So, so for our listeners and for you and I, let's definitely keep that conversation going online. Is there a superhero musical? I really feel like there should be. I don't. There are some kind of parody ones. I think there's a Batman. There musical is a Batman musical. There. It's it's intended as comedy. Yeah, and it's very funny. Mm -hmm. um, there's a Lord of the Rings musical, which isn't um, <laughs> again, but it's in, well, actually no. There's two Lord of the Rings movies. One of which is intended as comedy, and the other which is pretty pretty direct. Um, but yeah, I think those those would be some great stories for us to explore. There, I feel like the we've at least for tonight uh, exhausted this particular topic. We definitely want to hear from you, as we said. But uh, it is time for the PSA portion of superhero <laughs> ethics. It is time for superhero ethics. Said uh, Matthew has a very important message for our listeners, particularly <laughs> those in the domestic United States, but also yeah. for any listeners abroad. 
And and for any of our listeners who are also listeners of the Limited Resources podcast, which is um, a great uh, podcast by um, um, uh, two wonderful people about Magic the Gathering and, and the limited format there, what I'm about to say is 100% a ripoff of what they did. And I want to give an entirely credit to uh, Marshall and Luis uh, for what they did on that podcast and say that I'm flat out copying it because I think that it was such a good idea. Um, and, and, and I want it because what they did was they talked about the importance of voting. And and, and I'm not going to say anything partisan here, um, although you guys can probably guess what side of the political aisle both me and Jacob are on. Um, but 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 I, like they did, I just wanted to say that there is an election coming up. And, and, and part of why it is important to talk about today is because the deadline for voter registration is coming up very soon. It's going to be coming up at the end of September, I think September 26th, and this, this podcast will probably go live a couple of days before then. And, and just to say, I think we – and kind of it, it does tie into this topic we're talking about today because we, we're talking about the feeling people often have of wanting to use violence because they feel powerless and wanting to feel like there isn't any way that they can affect change in their world. And, and I just wanted to really sort of use this platform – we're not going to do this often, I promise, but, but to use this platform to, to reaffirm the idea that voting is a very powerful way, whatever, whatever change you want to affect in the world or whether you want to keep the world exactly the same as it is today, voting is a way that all of us have power. It's a way that all of us can be heroes and, and exert change upon the world um, in a really important way. And this is true in any democracy, in any place where people have any ability to vote. And I know we have listeners outside the United States, and that is fantastic, and I, I would give the same urge to vote um, wherever you can, but especially here in the United States where, A, there's a very important election coming up very soon, and B, where um, voting is, is – we don't have great levels of voter registration and of people voting uh, that they do in many other parts of the world. And so just wanted to, to take this moment to talk about why it's so important to say that for people who are feeling like it can be a difficult thing, um, it can be. There are far too many barriers to vote in this country than there should be, as there are in, in many other countries, although here especially. Um, but it is – you can still get registered to vote. Um, there's just a, um, a website that's just called voter.gov, which has great information about it. Uh, the League of Women Voters, which is a nonpartisan group, also has a lot of great information about it. Um, for many of you who live in cities, many taxi companies on election day will give free taxi rides to and from the polls, and that's something you can explore. Um, and, and we'll post links to that as part of the, the idea, uh, part of the, the show notes for the show. Uh, again, we're not going to do this special ABC after school stuff uh, for very often, but but just on this one occasion, I wanted to to steal what what Marshall and Luis did on limited resources and say, if you want to be a hero, vote. It is one of many, but but one very important way that you can, whatever your understanding of justice is, work for justice in the world. Yeah, I mean, from from the artificial intelligence perspective, we're very concerned. We we as robots are very concerned with <laughs> systems working as intended, and a participatory democracy, a representative democracy, doesn't really work without the participation as intended. Right? It'll it'll function. It'll do things, but it works best when when each of us engages with it in some fashion. So I, again, I, I'm basically just agreeing with Matthew that the, a, a heroic thing that you can do is to make sure that you do, you engage with that. You do participate. You do uh, go and make sure that your voice is among the many that are, that are heard and acknowledged by the people we have representing us who craft laws and who, right. who make our government work. Absolutely. So thank you guys for listening to that. Thank you more importantly for listening to our entire episode. As always, you can um, find us in a couple of places. You can find us on um, 
Twitter at Superhero Ethics. We still have the Superhero Ethics page on Facebook, but really the best way, um, not many people have signed up yet, but I really hope more people do. The best way to have discussions with us going forward is on the Superhero Ethics group on Facebook, and I'll include a link to that in this episode, uh, in the episode notes. Uh, that's where we're going to have this conversation about um, uh, about um, you know heroes who don't use violence and what that can look like, as well as it's a good part, good place to post any questions that you have for us. Um, questions about topics we're going to discuss, questions about topics we've already discussed, where you think we got something totally wrong, or you think we uh, agreed with us, or wanted to add something to the discussion. Any of those things, um, co- contact us there. You can also contact us at superheroethics at gmail dot com if you're an emailer. Any of the ways you want to go, um, we would ha- be happy to hear from you. Uh, so on behalf of myself, on behalf of Jacob, on behalf of um, all the great people who are listening, thank you guys all so much, and we look forward to talking to you again. Have a good day. Yeah, I was worried going into this that we weren't going to have enough material uh, with my <laughs> with my general outline. And I should have known better. I should have had more faith in, in us as people who can bloviate for very long periods of time. <laughs> 